Como estas? Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dr. Samaroff. This is a cool conversation with Richard Lucas from the Scottish Family Party. We talk about lots of stuff. Conservatives being assimilated by the left, or is it them assimilating left-wing policies? How the media decides what people are outraged about, labour laws, healthcare, willpower, addiction and mental health, and some kind of feministy critiques like the purpose of marriage, evolutionary versus religious explanations for different traits of the sexes. There's two other shows in the feed featuring Richard. I was on his show again once before a, a year ago, and there's another panel discussion with people from other parties, which was a bloody good show, actually. Anyway, here it is, episode 202 of the Scottish Liberty Podcast. Right, so let's go on to our special guest, who has been on the live stream, he says, about a year previously, and it is Dr. Anthony Samarov. Now, Dr. Samarov is the author of uh, an excellent little book about universal basic income, which he opposes completely. Uh, he was involved in the Scottish Libertarian Party, he still is a little bit, but he's been living uh, abroad for a little while. So let's welcome Dr. Samaroff. Anthony, good to have you with us. It's a great pleasure to be with you after a year, although it seems a little bit strange that it's been a year because it's almost like we're stuck inside some kind of limbo where we were told that measures that were temporary um, seem to go on unto eternity and no one can plan ahead for their future. Case in point, I was meant to be away for eight weeks. I'm still away 15 months later. Don't get me wrong, it's been an amazing adventure, but it's also been a very strange year. How are you keeping up the fort in Scotland? Has it fallen to pieces without me? That's what I really want to know. Oh, completely, completely. Yeah, it's, it's just a, a, a desert here now. My first question whenever I speak to Anthony online is, is which country are you in? Right. You need to check. Um, and you're actually in Mexico. That's right. At the moment. That right. So, um, so, so Anthony works as a therapist, counsellor, and... For the last few months, he was in America for quite a while, but he's in Mexico uh, at the moment. So it's great to have you with us. There's always lots to talk about. Now, I say that Anthony is a, a, of a libertarian bent, which mm -hmm. is a very interesting perspective. So we're going to talk about a few issues um, and explore the libertarian view uh, on those. Before we go on to those, I thought we'd go to the issue of the day, UK-wise, uh, and just see what Anthony thinks about that. So, Anthony, Boris and his parties, what's your take well, I mean, are you telling me that a politician applies one rule to everyone else and not to themselves? I mean, crazy. I wouldn't believe it. The interesting thing about it is it's reflective of a larger point, which is the state itself is an institution that holds itself to an exemption uh, from those morals which we uh, are hold as basically given from day to day, you know, if we if we kill someone, well, that's murder. But if the state kills someone, if it's far away, it's war. If it's closer, then they'll have some other euphemism for it. Uh, of course, you can um, kidnap someone for 
and put them in a cage for a victimless crime. But the state can't. They can. The whole, the whole uh, uh, origin of the state is the idea that someone is go- someone who has the right to violate your rights at will is, go- is also responsible for upholding your rights. And that seems to me a little bit of a contradiction in terms. I'm getting right to the libertarian principle here. So, um, yeah, it's no surprise. Conservatives don't have any principles. Um, they're, they're not willing to take a hard line and say that they're free marketeers. They're not really willing to defend capitalism. They'll say something like, well, you know, capitalism isn't a perfect system, but it's the best we've got, uh, and things like that. That's why they lose all the time. They can't beat the left because they compromise with the left. They, well, um, they don't lose all the time. They tend to win elections, don't they? They've got a pretty good record. Okay, fair enough. They're lo- but the thing is, you could win an election by compromising on everything that you held to be a uh, policy. So, yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, but you could uh, take votes away from the Labour Party by becoming more Labour. You could take votes away from the liber- Liberal Democrats by adopting their policies. Hell, you could take away- votes away from the Greens by adopting Green policies. And that's precisely what the Conservatives have been doing. Uh, they're not really recognisable as a Conservative Party by any traditional measure of what Conservatism might yeah. mean. And they're just basically uh, some compromise between uh, what you know maybe Thatcher would have wanted and uh, what Labour want. So, I mean... They they may seem to win elections, but they're losing on all the issues. You know, they're not fighting against cultural Marxism. They're adopting it. Um, they're not uh, fighting. But and I, I need to caveat this. They're not fighting against like the green agenda. I caveat this because you know taking care of the environment is a good thing, and we should do it. But not the way that the Greens want us to do. Instead, they're like piecemeal adopting policies like from all these groups and not in a not in a fashion that satisfies anyone it's certainly not going to satisfy mm. their enemies but it's definitely not going to satisfy those who have um views more similar to you and i either i think with the cultural issues the conservatives are interesting because quite often there'll be some little tidbit that comes out that makes people think ah no actually they are fighting a little bit on cultural issues they are pushing back against some critical race theory or, or, you know, sort of extreme LGBT uh, uh, ideology or whatever. There'll just be a little hint that there's a bit of pushback. Hmm. But then you'll hear some other things, some big decisions they're making, and it's not in that direction at all. They, you know, they're rolling over and submitting to it. it. It almost seems to me as if it could be a, a cynical policy that they know there's this world of people who want them to be culturally conservative, so if they just throw them a few scraps every now and again, just to make them think, oh, they're not quite as bad as Labour. But when it comes to the big decisions that they make, it, it's not really there. Just going back to Boris, though, do you think Boris's party issue, I mean, whatever else you think of Boris and the Conservatives, do you think that should be a resigning issue? I, I, I mean, Richard, you're asking the wrong person, because I'd be quite happy if every politician resigned. Right. So um, the thing is, he's it's like it's one of these things where the 
things that Boris and the Conservative Party have done are already so beyond the pale and heinous that this is like nothing in comparison. In fact, imposing lockdowns on the country, as far as I'm concerned, is a resigning should be should be the, the the problem is no one the vast majority of people don't agree with me and what really annoys me is see even if you are for lockdowns and you think masks are extremely effective and and you know you think that these vaccine experimental vaccines are extremely effective etc that's fair enough right but if you are a liberal minded person i say that with a broad camp because we even even we fit into the the liberal minded and on this issue in that you know liberal democracy sense what liberal used to mean it should still be worrying to you that they didn't let a single expert who was against any of this stuff on tv or the radio to argue it out properly you should be going it should still worry you that youtube are removing people from the platform for reporting facts you know just as long as those facts don't agree with what the who or the cdc says that so if i was a conservative i'm not but if i was i would be using state power to stop these things just going back going back to boris my my take with boris I, i think it's just remarkably foolish to do the things he did in, in terms mm-hmm. of having parties like that. So, so the fact that they're sort of being a hypocrite, they're making the rules and they're breaking them. Okay, that, that's really bad. But then there's the side of just, just like the lack of foresight. I mean, if you were in that position, if you try and imagine you were Boris Johnson, you thought lockdowns were really necessary, you'd done it. And if you were thinking of, you know, being involved in a party like that or a party going on in 10 Downing Street, would you not have thought, oh, hang on a minute, this is really dangerous. This this mm-hmm. is going to blow up in my face. Just from a common sense point of view, this is not something we should be doing, just out of self-interest. Surely you'd have thought that. I, I think if anyone doesn't think that, I, I really question their judgment. How can anyone right. fail to see what's coming on that front? Right, right. So it's too stupid to rule. This is the um, debate I have in my head all the time. Are these people too stupid to rule or too wicked to rule? It's one or the other. But yeah, I mean, the thing is, people have shown themselves to be politicians. The the society has shown these people to be untouchable, right? What the mass of people care about is whatever the issue that's on the media tells them to care about. If they started putting shows on about free Tibet again, then everyone would be going on about free Tibet. If they started showing Israel bombing Palestine, people would care about that. If they told them that this experimental vaccine was call, causing um, uh, cardiological problems, everyone would be up in arms against Big Pharma. Right now, the media has decided to um, show that Boris had a party. And tomorrow, if they change the subject to something else, people will be outraged about that instead. And I'm sorry, but that's just that just happens to be the world that we happen to live in. Yeah. That's, so, a big, that's a big challenge for us as the Scottish Family Party, mm-hmm. because a lot of our issues, the media just doesn't want them on the agenda at all. Right. They just want them completely ignoring. So it's not like if we were in the situation where, you know, our issues were top of the agenda constantly, then I, I think there would be massive change. I think what tends to happen as well, if you look at referenda, 
if any issue goes to the top of the agenda, then you get quite a split among the population right. about it because people hear both sides of it. But if it doesn't get to the top of the agenda, then most people will just stay in the mainstream because they're not staying in the sort of consensus position because they're not hearing the the other points of view. It's a big challenge. I mean, just to say about, say about coronavirus, I mean, my personal views are, are sort of boringly mainstream on the issue. Mm-hmm. But, but definitely, I mean, family party policy as well has been to uh, against restrictions and, right. and mandates or whatever. So our policy now would right. just be to be completely back to normal. And that's been our policy at other points. Yeah, well. I, I kind of agree. I mean, people need to be free to make their own choices. I, um, I, I think I've not, everyone, like people can take the vaccine, people can mask up, people can, I am totally in favor of any cafe or restaurant or shop having the right to insist that people wear a mask or are even vaccinated to enter. However, I'm against the government mandating that places should have to follow that policy. Then we'll get a nice little split where people who don't want to adhere to silly policies, whatever they deem to be silly policies, I should say, oh, I can't believe that cafe lets unvaccinated people in. Fine, go to another cafe. What strikes me as very frustrating, shocking, irritating, uh, add anything else to the list, is they continue to do this theatrical performance of adhering to policies that have been shown to be ineffective. It's been a very long time since the CDC admitted that coronavirus is not spread from surfaces. But you go into places and they'll make an extra special show of showing that they disinfect the table and they disinfect the menu. What's What purpose does this serve? It's playing mm-hmm. into the hysteria which plays into the government's right to yeah. impose... So, okay, how, how, about, how about this? So from your sort of free market libertarian perspective, I think it was Asda I saw today. Okay. Oh, I might be maligning Asda. Anyway, there was some business that had said that they were going to reduce sick pay for people who were off with coronavirus who were unvaccinated. What do you think of that? Is that okay for a business to decide that? Well, I mean, it depends on the contractual terms. The problem that we have now is that the labour laws are not set by the market. They're set by the government centrally. So I have no idea to what these people have contracted to. Certainly, you'd hope, you know, in a free market, the contract would be very clear on what you are and what you aren't allowed to do. If if it's Uh, for new staff, then, if they're saying from staff from now on, Here's the contract. Your contract is. Yeah, I mean, you can choose to sign that contract or not, bearing in mind that on an actual free market, there would be so many more jobs than there are now that um, that workers would be able to vote with their feet. You know, the problem with the left wing approach is when all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. So they think, you know, we just need to bash employers into shape, whereas we understand a different approach, which is if you let people employ others on any terms they want, there'll be tons of jobs. So if you have a crappy boss, you just walk walk out and get another job. Yeah, you might be paying, getting paid less in, in the short term, but at least you can use the power to vote with your feet to advocate for the um, sick pay terms that you want. 
you know, you can go in and say, yeah, you know, I want a shorter lunch break, but I want to want better, um, better sick pay conditions or, or whatever it is, you know, um, but you can only do that um, in an open labour market where you have choices. Right. A few things. I'll, I'll just go back to a comment. Back hmm. to um, Alejandro. Um, several comments on my latest video. I deliberately twisted what the MSP said. Do you stand by your comments? I'd be interested to hear, to hear which ones you think I twisted. So do fire away in the comments and I'll reply at, at the end if there's a, if there's a chance. So I'd, I'd be interested to hear. So fire away. Well, coming back to those issues, I, I think another interesting little philosophical question uh, is this. Now, I know you, you don't like the idea of an NHS at all. Okay, mm. but let, let, assuming that we are where we are, okay, I, I think an right. NHS is. It's got a lot going for it. So I don't think it's perfect. But okay. It's got a lot going for it. So assuming I, I agree that it's a lot going for it. I, I agree that it's got a lot going for it. It's not. It's what it doesn't have going for it that bothers me. Uh -huh. So if you imagine so, so we've got coronavirus, and the NHS says, right, the best way to deal with this is for you to take a vaccine. That's our recommended treatment. Mm -hmm. And if someone says, well, okay, thanks very much, but I don't want to do that. And then as a result, you, you might dispute this, but the NHS thinks as a result, this person ends up ill, needing much more expensive medical treatment. Is it reasonable for the NHS to say, if they offer, offer something to someone and they say, this is the cost effective and effective means of dealing with this. And the person says, no, I don't want that. And then they say to the NHS, right, what I want now is much more expensive treatment because I didn't have your, your cheaper one. Is that potentially an acceptable position? Sure, if you forget for coronavirus, surely on some issues that has got to be an acceptable position, hasn't it? If someone turns well, down a cheaper I mean, option and then demands the more having an NHS. What if that person's what if that person's a multimillionaire and has paid hundreds of thousands of pounds in taxes? Do they can he has he not got the right to recoup some of what's been taken from him to fund the NHS? This is the problem with having social services because there's no fucking right, excuse my language, Richard, um, there's no right answer to this question. If it's a private contract and the NHS is their insurer, absolutely, they've got the right. They can say, look, we told you what our proposals are. You didn't agree. Go and find someone else to provide the service. People are coming to the NHS as beggars. They don't have consumer power. You know, it's all great until you're 75 and you go in for a treatment, you paid your taxes all your life, and they say, I'm sorry, you're too old to get this treatment, right? And it happens regularly. We've got 5 million on a waiting list for the NHS near enough, right? Yeah. You've got, yeah. so, okay, right, let's, uh, the NHS should say to fat people, I'm sorry, you ate too many McDonald's and we're not going to treat you for your heart disease. The NHS should say, I'm sorry that you've got diabetes type 2. That's preventable with lifestyle. It's your fault for not going to the gym. Liver and kidney dialysis. Well, I guess you shouldn't have drunk so much. Uh, we're not paying so, for that. So, 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 so you would like... Stop? Where do you yeah. stop with this? So you're, would you like that to be the way the, op the NHS operates? Or are you saying that that's... No. No, I don't know what the solution is. I think that the state's a corrupting factor. What see, if, I, if, if what it was I private suggest, health insurance, see, if, if it was private health insurance, then mm -hmm. you'd go to the providers 
and they would give you a checkup and they say, look, you're massively overweight. Um, you know, we, we've taken a blood sample. You're drinking far too much, et cetera, et cetera. So your premium is going to be really expensive mm-hmm. unless you sort those things out. Right. Okay. Which you can see there's, there's potential benefits for that. That might motivate people and it, you might suggest it could be fairer as well. Mm-hmm. So the people who are living more healthy, they're not subsidizing people who are making bad choices. But the things that it's got to come down to is what about the person or the, the, the people who can't afford right. health insurance? What, what should happen to them in, in libertarian land? Right. What happens to people who can't afford health insurance? Okay, well, first of all, the, uh, okay, uh, there, that's such a huge question to unpack. Let me just first of all say, um, with with the approach to the NHS, I wouldn't privatise it, neither would the party. What we would do was we would deregulate private provision of healthcare, and the market forces in private provision of healthcare would make that affordable to more and more people and also the innovations in private healthcare could make the NHS more affordable as well or at least you'd be able to copy what are the private hospitals doing to keep costs down and maybe the NHS could copy them. So that's that um, question. As for uh, private insurance, yeah okay, they they, they might, uh, first of all you I think we already have uh, it, it's already complicated by the time you get to insurance. First of all, what should be insured? Usually, it, in America, they insure for everything, and, and that's just not the approach that we should be taking. It should be things that are unpredictable and rare that you're getting insurance from. Because when the consumer pays over the counter, the price of everything plummets. I, if you look at the American healthcare system, there's uh, private clinics that are found that do things for a tenth or a fifth of what the private insurers are paying out to private hospitals. They're squandering money, 200 to 800 billion a year on unnecessary tests. So I want to get rid of all of that baggage and say an organic free, free market system wouldn't look anything like that. There's, um, there, yeah, there'd be private hospitals, there'd be charity hospitals, people could crowdfund and things like that. Most of the healthcare costs is because we've, um, we're reliant on these like high tech, high treatment, um, um, things. You know, most of, almost all of the money goes to the end of life care. Whereas even in mainstream medicine, they accept that 70% of disease is lifestyle related. So I think, um, in a sane system, and if that's true, I think it's probably more like 90, 95%, but let's just take their, their numbers at face value. It's all these chronic conditions which are lifestyle related that are costing so much money. So what you'd have is, therefore, 70% of the money would be going on to prevention and cure. And that might, uh, sorry, prevention rather than treatment. That's, that, that's what the market should be turning out. So what we need is actually to, to innovate in the sector of helping people um, adopt better habits. It's not just enough to send people away with a diet plan. What if they can't follow it because they don't have the impulse control or, you know, they're, they're, uh, um, they've got trauma, addiction issues and things like that. Their family network's not supportive. They didn't have a good, good role models. They came from a single parent home where they were um, fed microwave meals every night and that's all they're used to and things like that. How do we take 
people who just don't take care of themselves and offer them the opportunity to make uh, better choices? That's that's a really interesting question. I think um, a a key thing through this, I think, is willpower. That's the Mm -hmm. case for me in any case. I mean, I'm, I'm no expert in diet and exercise and all those things, but I know enough. My mm-hmm. problem isn't that I don't know what's good for me. The problem is actually living according to it. I, mean, mm-hmm. I don't do disastrously badly, but you know, not perfect right. by a long, long way uh, as well. But I think ultimately I see that as a matter of willpower. Now, I, I read a book about willpower a couple of years ago. It was, it was fascinating. There's two key things it said. One thing is that willpower is something that you basically you've got a stock of and you use it up. Right. So if you resist a biscuit in in the morning, if the same packet of biscuits is there at lunchtime and you resist it again, you've used some more willpower. Okay, if some like, I don't know, pornographic pop-up comes up on the internet and you resist that, you've used up some of the same stock of willpower. Interesting. And eventually you'll get to the point where you've used it up and you're going to succumb to whatever happens to come along at, you know, t- 10 o'clock at night or whatever when you've run out of willpower. Right. And the other thing was that... um. The way to strengthen willpower is it's like a muscle, is to use right. it. So if you control a, an impulse, uh, the more you do that, then the stronger your willpower gets. Now, I feel um, maybe in the olden days, which is maybe not that long ago, a big part of education would have been building up willpower, right. self-control, self-discipline, because you just had to do the things. You were set some right. work, you didn't want to do it, you couldn't be bothered, but you really had to make yourself do it. Okay, someone would be, um, you know, you got really fed up with the teacher, really annoyed with you, and you'd feel like just mouthing off at them, but you didn't dare. You had to exert your will right. and control yourself. So I think through developmental phases, I think people were building up stronger willpower, basically. But I said, now the shift in education, and why does society well, but in education in particular, it's more that we're not expecting you to exert <laughs> willpower. Right. We're more likely to sympathise and say, "Oh, we quite understand. It's fine, you, you know. That's that's you know, we didn't expect any more from him." And I think the, the knock-on effect. So, in terms of healthy eating, for example, you, mm-hmm. I think instead of putting posters up or teaching kids about what's healthy to eat, I think maybe the more valuable thing would be to focus on trying to build up willpower, because that's ultimately. What's the uh, what's the key factor? Right, what do you think of my theory there? Uh, well, I mean, I think there's a lot of truth to that. So the thing is, we don't really know yet what the best way to help facilitate people in building their willpower is, and I would argue part of that's due to the state monopoly on um, education, but also uh, on mental health services, which, you know, as a mental health professional, I believe has been a complete disaster. So... Um, yeah, I mean, it would be great to to have the have the skills to try out different things and cross notes and learn from each other as they would on a on a on a mar- in a market basis. But do, 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 that's the key thing, though. If you went back many decades, when people basically were much healthier, they made much better decisions. Now, it wasn't particularly that they couldn't afford unhealthy food or whatever, but I think right. it's just people just tended so to be many more. There's so many factors, though. I mean, yeah, maybe people were disciplined because back then life was a lot harder than it is now. And if you Uh don't have the discipline to go down a coal mine and dig coal, then I'm sorry, but you're basically going to starve. I accept Mm -hmm. that. And uh, the, the, the thing is, you know, 
there, there's so much more addictive chemicals in food these days. People are so used to interfacing with technology that uh, gives them a notification all the time and gives them a serotonin boost. We've, we've like really uh, unleashed this crazy experiment on the human mind. We're uh, blind, flying blind into it. No data. Now, you know, companies are starting to manufacture things like meditation apps and um uh, all sorts of apps to help you get better at um, scheduling your day and having willpower and they gamify it so you get a reward for but um you know we we really need a lot more data i think on 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 these things like we need we need protocols that are optimized over time to help with these things and i i really don't see how that's going to happen under the current system where you know like the 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 education and and mental health services are dominated by a centrally planned policy that's you know one size fits all. I think I think the schools could do a lot to empower people if we if if that was set on the set on the agenda. Yeah, did you when you're a professional sphere? Counseling right. psychotherapy. I mean, you, you come across people with various issues. I mean, what, what insights would you have in there? What generalizations would you make about the, the issues that people present to you? I mean, do you deal with people with any particular issues, or is it just open? It's quite a, broad. A wide spectrum. Um, but yeah, I mean, willpower is something that comes up time and time again for everyone. Most people who are dissatisfied, it seems a lot of the time, they're dissatisfied because. They want to achieve something and they get in their own way. So I think like willpower central center of the bullseye. When it comes to something like a severe addiction, I don't really work with people who are severely addicted. Although sometimes people who come to me and say they are, and I tell them that I'm not, you know, I'm not professional in that. Uh, my professional training's not in that sphere, and there are people who are specialists, and I just want them to know that before they book me. You know, because I don't know best practices in helping people overcome alcoholism. But it's good to look at that as an extreme because, like, take your willpower analogy. You could be so good 95% of the time, Mm -hmm. but you could be good for days, weeks. But then the thought enters your mind, you're at a low point, and sooner or later you are going to be at a low point, and you think it's so unfair. Everyone else gets to enjoy a drink. Why can't I? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll just have one or two. The promise, the problem is, as soon as you've had one or two, you're on the train, and the train is mm-hmm. driving off a cliff. So that's the same with everyone that's overweight and wants to lose weight. They can be good. They can be good so for so long, but then it's so unfair. Why can't I just enjoy my food like everyone else? So I mean, I personally, you know, I think this is the center of the bullseye in terms of, um solving all our social problems because it is like impulse control is the thing you know why do people who know better get in with a bad crowd and end up committing crimes okay yes maybe some people are just wicked but i don't think that's the majority of people like you know the so it's um it is it's a, it's a fundamental question and it's one that 
like you said, it's not even on the agenda to discuss, you know, like mm-hmm. all the Scottish Family Party's problems, you know, let's take, a, you're obviously, the, the clue is in the title, Scottish Family Party. There's no bigger disadvantage we know that you can give a child than raising them in a single parent home. So we know that for a fact. They're more likely to drop out of school. They're more likely to have a teenage pregnancy. They're more likely to have drug and drug addictions. They're more likely to end up in jail. So if the government was really serious about so- solving social problems, we'd say, right, what's the biggest corrupting factor? Oh, it's uh, single parenthood, right? What can we do about that, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that they've not shows that that's not what the government's all about. And in my opinion, they're never going to fix it. One, it's too unpopular. It's not a vote winner. And two, the whole basis of the government is based on their existing social problems for them to solve. Yeah. What are they going to tax you for if we solve all our social problems? What so it's against their principles, I think. I'm right. reading a book, which is on here. It's on here, right. I'm reading this book at the moment. It's very interesting. It's by um, an academic, uh, a liberal academic, and she's arguing against marriage full stop. You know, it's, it's patriarchal. Yeah. The government should have nothing to do with this, etc. And her argument, I mean, people like, like Nicola Sturgeon would, wouldn't be able to put together an argument like she's putting together, uh, or, or the Labour Party, or even most of the <laughs> Conservative Party. But what she's saying is actually what they think. And she's basically saying that to be a liberal... Uh, you, you don't distinguish between conceptions of the good life. Everyone can make their own decision about the way they want to live. And the government shouldn't be favouring one particular decision out of, out of many conceptions of a good life. And so she said marriage is just one conception of a, you know, a positive way to live. So the government shouldn't be favouring it because that's unfair. That's so unequal. Doing that's discrimination against people. But... Okay, but they don't care about the outcomes. They're 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 implementing policies that um, that basically push the tide in the opposite direction of. So by her own by her own principle, they shouldn't be doing any of that. They shouldn't be alimony. I know we I don't think we have alimony in the UK, do we? There shouldn't be that. There shouldn't be child benefit. Then you know there shouldn't be any government policies to. Uh, to that in any way encourage divorce then okay she says you shouldn't can you repeat that again you shouldn't as a liberal she's saying as as a liberal liberal, you 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 shouldn't shouldn't, it shouldn't discriminate between different conceptions of the good life okay right okay i agree you shouldn't discriminate between different conceptions of the good life except at my expense right Uh you as a private matter can do what you want, but not at other people's expense. So uh-huh. if you want to have, um, a, I don't know, a polyamorous harem, I fantasize about it sometimes, you know, just don't let anyone, you know, what you do in your private life is fine. Don't bring children into it, for example. Don't expect other people to come in and it, it should, it's, it's a private matter, right? So the thing, and here's the other thing. That is in itself a self-contradictory statement. She just says you shouldn't distinguish between different conceptions of the good life. But she's telling you what the good is. The good is not to discriminate. Uh She says to live a good life is to not discriminate between different conceptions Uh of the good life. Well, what if 
you know, what if I think we should discriminate between this different conceptions? Well, you say, well, in that, in that case, you're not a liberal. Okay. So that, that, well, a liberal principle. An illustration okay, she gave, she said, um, for example, we have official drivers. You do a test, you get a license to be a driver. Okay. And then once you've got that license, the law treats you differently. You're allowed to do things you're not otherwise able okay. to do. And she said, that's not illiberal because... In order to drive a car, you do really need to know those things. And it's okay. in everyone's interest that you know those yeah. things so you're not going to cause mayhem driving a car. Okay. I tend to think with marriage, I mean, there's, there are similarities there. I mean, I would say uh, in order to enter into like sexual procreative relationships in a responsible way, that's going to be the best for all round. Great. Then the best way to do that is through marriage. Right. Um, so at the extreme... The, the government policy could be, right, we're making a law that the only, um, you have to like get a marriage license and that's like a sex license. Okay. You know, and that, that's a move in together and have sex and have kids license. That's what marriage is. That would be the extreme. Now, I, I think I, I could argue why that would be a good thing because mm -hmm. that was, that is the responsible way, a protective way to enter into sexual relationships. Now, I could argue for that. But there's count, the counter-arguments are very strong as well. So I, I don't actually want that to happen. But see, marriage is like a halfway house. It is a bit like a driving license. It, it is recognizing that this is the best way, the, the safe way, the protective way, um, the, just the beneficial way to enter into this aspect of life. And that's why the government is justified in, uh, in discriminating in favor of it. I'm only halfway through a book, so... Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I, I think the purpose of marriage is kind of a way of, ideally, is a way of telling everyone we're serious about this and it's mm -hmm. for life, right? So if you have a girlfriend and you have a breakup, then your friends will be like, oh, okay, sometimes it doesn't work out. But, you know, if you embark on a divorce, everyone should be coming around saying, are you sure? Have you thought it through? Have you tried marriage counselling? Have you tried everything at your disposal? And unfortunately, that cultural norm has uh, eroded. I could maybe say, I could probably make a libertarian argument that it's because the state has colonized marriage but i might be just i might be just embarking on a mental exercise because i don't know if that's true or not i don't quite frankly but I, I find it peculiar that someone would say that marriage is a patriarchal agreement because i mean come on i mean it's there largely to favor women you know it's uh -huh. women who are going to in most cases it's there to protect women so that if there's a if they lose time out of the labor force you know they're they're still going to be taken care of with a divorce settlement, and um, they're not going to be saddled with kids after some players, um, you know, convince them that they're you know serious when they're not really. They're just going to run for the hills as soon as they have children. So it's really weird that everything is you know discrimination against women when clearly a large part of society creating this institute has been to protect women. That's just weird. Fear, fear not. Miss Ch Chambers has got an answer to that. So, okay, marriage may um, make men committed to women so that women are not left alone and they get men to behave the way they want them to, they're provided for, etc. But all that's cancelled out because of the sexist things like uh, the bride doesn't get to make give a speech. 
What? At the wedding breakfast. Can, uh, surely, so that, that can, <laughs> surely, if she wants to give a speech that badly, she can tell her husband and family, I'd like to give a speech at the wedding. I'm sure the... But I think this is like... You know, it's no, just, no, you, so you, sure you, just, you just don't get it. The fact that that's the tradition it just puts patriarchy and sexism at the heart of the institution it's just, and it's irredeemable. This is just that, like, like, you know, women saying... So I, I know most women don't believe this, thankfully, uh, but that it's sexist, pulling out a chair or opening a door. As far as, I, as far as I've seen, in almost all cases, when I choose to walk on the side nearer the road rather than uh, let the women do it, they're charmed and they like it. So uh-huh. it's just feminists just don't take, make the choices that women want them to make. I mean, just a couple of quick points on feminism that you might not have heard, or patriarchy, rather, because, you know, feminism... Look, I'm sure someone can give me a definition of feminism that would include me, okay? But that's that's not an aberration. Most people believe in, you know, that women are basically equal to men and blah, not, not, uh, and blah, 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 and should have the same rights and whatnot. Um, but here, you know, if it was a feminist uh, society... Why is it that when you go into a shopping centre, like seven of the eight shops are there to cater to women and sell women all this stuff? Like, uh, and like one is like a computer game shop or a watch shop. The whole society is there to cater to women because they're at home watching TV more, uh, at a larger proportion to men being advertised to with, you know, all the shows they had, Oprah, Ricky Lake, Now It's Loose Women, used to spread the idea that, you know, women are victim, women are good and men are bad. In a market economy, it's not who makes the money that has a say, it's who spends the money. And if you look at the statistics, women spend way more of the money in the society than men. They spend most of their own money and they spend most of the money that men earn as well. So the whole, like, if 79% of the people who were homeless were women, sorry, I'm getting confused now, 79% of the people who committed suicide were women, you would never hear the end of it. It would be in the front page of every paper. If If most of the people who were homeless were women, you'd never hear the end of it. The thing is, society cares about women because... Eggs are precious, and sperm are not even ten a penny, but maybe trillions of penny. So um, we're kind of blind to the suffering of men, and I don't, I don't dispute that women have, you know, do face discrimination in some cases, and there are genuine, legitimate women, women's issues, absolutely a hundred percent. I just don't believe that a society that was created by men to serve men at the expense of women, i.e. a patriarchy, would look anything like this one. No. I just listened to Radio 4 a little bit at tea time today, and there was a story of a woman who'd been murdered, I think it was in Northern Ireland, um, I don't know, jogging by the canal or something, a, a man of murderer. So the big report on that, that was a gender-based violence story. Then later in the news, there was a story, um, there had been a conviction, but the story is basically that uh, um, a mother had killed a child, killed a son. That wasn't a gender-based violence mm-hmm. story, okay. or, 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 or a mother violence well, story. That that was just a. A, a lot of the time, 
they trot out excuses for women when they kill children that they would never trot out for men, like, oh, she was under pressure, she had postpartum depression and things like that. And actually, you know, I am quite sympathetic to anyone, even, you know, I think that most people who commit horrific acts are, like, mentally ill or suffering, right? So, but but that doesn't change the fact that there's an imbalance there. I think that... um, Oh, yeah, yeah. And gender-based violence is a perfect example because for ages they were always talking about how domestic abuse was a gender issue. But the thing is, as soon as they started to actually do proper studies, they find out that if you ask a man, has your wife ever domestically abused you? They'll say no. But if you ask him, has your wife ever hit you in the face with a pot? They'll say yes. Right. Mm -hmm. So there was a whole bunch of gender. I don't believe that it's gender based. Right. I don't believe it's gender based. It's just people like, again, getting aggressive with other people. Um, So there was a whole bunch of violence coming from women against men that just wasn't counted in the statistics because men answer questions differently from women do. You know, it's it's interesting. Uh, next week, actually, I've got uh, Mike Buchanan on who's coming to argue uh, against marriage to say why men shouldn't get married. Amazing. I must listen to that show. You must, yeah. I, I've read his book, so I'm ready for him next week. But I'm actually just reading another book as well, um, written by a men's rights activist. And it's about chivalry. Mm-hmm. So chivalry, the idea that uh, you know, men have a special duty to protect women and, and to honour them and, and treat them well and uh, whatever, you know, walk on the outside of the pavement or, or whatever. Now, I, I, when I think of that, I tend to think that that's natural, they're mm-hmm. natural and good in, um, inclinations. And when feminists mm-hmm. argue against them, I think, well, I'm not really sure you're doing yourselves any favours. I think it'd be a healthier society if that culture was stronger. But in terms of violence against women, I mean, that's the ultimate antidote to it. But mm-hmm. anyway, but what this person writing the book was saying, he was saying the reason we ended up with chivalry it was some sort of sort of a medieval feminist conspiracy <laughs> that the women managed to manipulate society to make the men uh, favour them above themselves. And this is really bad and we need to correct it. I, I just I, I completely disagree. I think he's lost the plot there. I've, I've never seems, heard anyone make that sort of point before. It seems pretty far-fetched to me. But I would say this. If you do ask, act chivalrously... It should be because you get something out of it. It shouldn't be to kiss ass to a woman. I walk near the, the car and I open doors and I take out a lady's seat because I get a fe- good feeling out of being the man. And uh, if, you, if you're in that state of mind where you think, oh, women have broken the social contract and it, uh, between men and women and, uh, and it, gives you, it gives you no pleasure, then by all means... Don't do it. It's it, it, it's down to you. Well, that a bit not a bit reductionist? So, so when right. you're on the sinking Titanic, women and children first. I mean, do you, do you do that because it gives you some sort of inner satisfaction? Well, I think maybe some people did at some point. That's a great question. Would I still do it? Like, I, I feel I feel a little bit like, um, you know, I'm sure in in the past people got. Uh, a kick out of 
being drafted to the army sometimes because they felt they were doing their duty to their nation state and they were a great hero and things like that. Whereas I would think, what the hell, I'm not putting my life in the line for you, a-holes. Like, if you if you want to fight this war, then David Cameron can get on the... Uh, sorry, I'm but, not surely, there'd, surely there'd be some causes where you would think it would be a noble cause. I, to fight I certainly to protect your, your, your homeland and your nation, your family, the way of life or whatever. It would probably be the way of life and, and, and principles that I hold dear, you know. I mean, I'm willing to I'm willing to stand up for freedom for certainly for because so many people have put their lives on the line and um, maybe not because of that, but rather the reverse is true. People have put their lives on the line for freedom because it's so precious and uh-huh. we will probably continue to do that in the future. And that's why it was women and children first, because um, even if you lost half the men in a society, you could easily repopulate that society. But if you lost half the women in that society, then it would be a lot harder. And that's what it comes from. That's that's interesting. There's generally evolutionary explanations for human nature. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't tend to buy them. I tend to look at them from a more, more, more theological angle. But it's interesting oh, the way they coincide. They coincide yes. so uh, well. I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear your theological angle on that question. Then, I, I suppose with with men and women, I, I would see it that as part of the design is for men and women to be complementary. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that, that's the intention. Therefore, so they're designed to form a team, if you like, the ideal team to form a stable relationship and to bring up children. And, and why does that mean why does that mean women first because you know the guys because in that view the guy's the one who's more likely to be able to create resources right. uh, I think the thing with that is, is generally men are, are physically stronger psychologically different in some ways as well more aggressive um, more willing to engage in sort of physical conflict or any sort of conflict for that matter. So I believe within the, the um, man and woman partnership, part of the role of the man is to be, you know, if the scary animal comes to the cave door or whatever, it's their job to go and, and deal with it. In normal circumstances, okay, that, that would be the norm. And that's, that's the team. So as well as being a complementary team in terms of qualities, I think that's also sort of hardwired in in terms of inclinations as well. So if, if you look at women as well, for example, looking after young kids or very, very young kids, I think women generally are just better at it. They tend to want to do it more and they're better at it. Now, I think the, the wanting to do it and the being better at it, I believe that that's design. That, that's part of the plan to put together a team, a complementary team. Now, other people would have evolutionary explanations as well. Obviously, if, if women are better at it, and there's obviously biological reasons as well that there needs to be very young, young children. But women are better at it. An evolutionary perspective would also lead to the conclusion, well, if they're better at it, you'd want also a desire to do it to evolve as well. So you'd get to the same sort of conclusion. But I believe it's by design rather than do you, evolutionary development. Do you think that evolution is um, the evolutionary explanation is incompatible with the the theological explanation? Um, 
I believe that with the evolutionary explanations, of course, they never have any uh, any sort of normative power. They, they can't tell you what you ought to do. Okay. So if you believe that, if you're on the Titanic, say, and you believe that women and children first is just something, an inclination that's evolved, then that doesn't give you any reason to actually mm -hmm. act on it. That's if, if you believe that as as a man you've been given some special responsibility, that that's something that's part of it is divine intention and a divine function mm -hmm. for you, then that person might feel that it is something that they ought to do. It's not just that they feel inclined okay. to do it. They feel they actually ought you. to do it for an objective reason. We, we could have a massive conversation on this one day because this, uh -huh. is, oh, this is very interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with you that evolution is um, descriptive rather than prescriptive. So it uh -huh. doesn't have any normative power. You can um, get an ought from an is. I personally would argue that that's what we have, like philosophy for. You know, um, we're not. We don't take uh, descriptions of the world. Uh, we can't take descriptions of what is. Um, we need to. We need to abstract to do that. But that's a whole other question. The thing is, I would say if God exists, um, then evolution would be how creation unfolds, and therefore it would make good sense that what is um, theologically true would be uh, reflected in how, yes. how the human organism evolves. The, the yeah. human organism would evolve in line with theological teaching because, because evolution is how creation unfolds. Yes, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, my, my beliefs about um, evolution um, I, I probably believe in common descent, mm -hmm. common ancestry, um, but I don't believe that it's, uh, an undirected process can produce sort of uh, complex functional mm. systems of interrelated uh, components, which is what biology is full of. So yeah. that's, the, uh, that's the leap. So I'm, I'm sort of a bit of a hybrid there. But when well, it comes to, I think with the mind as well, we're going to head off into deep water here with yeah, two minutes. Again. I, I believe the mind is supernatural. Right. As well. So the brain is a physical organ, mm -hmm. um, but interacting with our physical brain is a supernatural mind, soul, whatever you want to call it. So therefore, I, I believe in and so genuine uh, free will. Dualism as well. Yeah. Um, and certainly the. The universe is a wonder and the human mind is a wonder mm -hmm. and anyone who tries to reduce it to less than that, in my opinion, is on as shaky grounds as like the opposite extreme, I think, uh, whatever way you want to put it. So that, um, so I, I, I certainly can't, I, I certainly can't explain it. Uh-huh. Right. That was fascinating. We just Right, that's great. So uh, our hour is gone. Anthony, we must um, have a chat again. It would be good to start on some of these philosophical issues, maybe, in, in the future. Richard, we, we ended up with some deep issues, didn't we? Maybe we'll I, Richard, there, I, would, I would be delighted to have a chat with you anytime on any subject. From, uh, I've enjoyed from any it. country. <laughs> from any country I happen to be in. I've enjoyed the show immensely. So thank you so much for having me a, a second time. 
and uh, I, I I appreciate the ability to get into the nuance with you, which we don't really hear in the mainstream media. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's been great to talk to you. You've always got some uh, interesting insights. Thanks very much for watching. Thanks for your comments. And uh, those of you watching later on as well. So uh, next week, remember, we have uh, Mike Buchanan, who's going to try and convince me uh, that marriage is a bad thing, especially for men. Men shouldn't get married. Um, so I'm going to take a different view, obviously. So that should be a lively discussion next week. So do tune in.